Hi there, welcome to the Tech Means Business Podcast. This series of podcasts explores the area where there's a confluence of the worlds of business and the technology that underpins it. We're talking today about the particular challenges of keeping the IT stack in public sector organisations safe, or at least a good deal safer from cyber attack. Every organisation, with an online presence of course, wants to be as safe as possible, but when you're providing services to citizens that are funded by the taxpayer, cyber protection has to be paramount when building your IT services, helping many organisations both here in the UK and around the world with this, and joining me in the studio today, is Wipro. It's a global company with extensive experience both in the public sector and in cybersecurity. In our virtual studio, I'm joined by Hitesh Bansal, who's Senior Partner for Cybersecurity and Risk Services at Wipro, and Richard Vinicom, Partner at Wipro UK. And I'll ask you, if I may, uh, to introduce yourselves to the listeners. Richard, perhaps you'd go first. Yes, of course. Um, So I've spent uh, 19 years at a UK defence contractor, uh, followed by five years at a European systems integrator before joining Wipro about three years ago. Fundamentally, I'm a front of house um, uh, account manager for a variety of uh, large and small accounts in the UK and I team. Thanks, Richard. And Hitesh, go ahead, give us a short introduction to yourself. Hi there, this is Hitesh Bansal. Academically, I'm a computer science engineer. I'm also an ethical hacker, and I hold a master's degree in business administration. I joined Wipro in 2006. Now, those were the days of Basel to Compliance, Sarbanes-Oxley. Since then, I've worked in the domain of risk and cybersecurity consulting across Americas, Asia-Pacific, and Europe. Currently, I'm based in London, UK, and I am the country business head for UK and Ireland. Marvellous. Thank you, Hitesh. Now, we're talking today about cybersecurity specifically for public sector bodies. Um, at the moment in the UK and indeed um, in most economies around the world, I guess, um, there are a lot of governmental, local and national cutbacks. Is that uh, making, is that economic downturn, if you like, making people rely more on public sector? And does that reliance on the public sector um, make it more attractive maybe to cybersecurity uh, bad actors? Richard, I'm going to throw that one at you first, if I may. So I don't believe um, the uh, the economic circumstances of the UK necessarily make any specific government department any more or less vulnerable. Um, I think those departments of government that process a lot of financial transactions have always been uh, targets for attackers looking to make financial gain and subvert those systems and try and uh, try and monetize that crime. Um, and, and similarly, uh, the more sensitive uh, criminal justice and intelligence departments um, make uh, make fantastic prizes for hackers seeking to deface websites or or for whatever other um kudos related uh, initiatives that, that they choose to go after those uh, those departments so i think uh, neither of those two reasons are related to the economy of the country maybe where we see economics playing a part is is people are generally uh, poorer uh, and and for those people with 
hacking skills, uh, they may be perhaps more motivated to use them. Um, so there's a general increase in threat because of, because of that, just financial consequences on criminals. For sure. And I fully appreciate that my question was probably naive. So maybe if I can focus it down slightly and ask Hitesh, um, is there a particular way that the public sector um, comes under cyber attack? Is there a particular vector that's a lot more common for public sector organisations to be aware of compared to those in the private sector, perhaps? I don't think the vectors are very different, to be honest. I think the whole concept of cybersecurity hinges on finding a vulnerability, as we call the attack cycle. And then, for all we know, uh, somebody gains access to a system. They remain on the network for a long time. And then, for whatever it's worth, if it's a financial gain, as Richard was talking about, or something else that motivates them, now we do keep hearing about you know, the hacktivists, you know, which is a term used in the media. But essentially, people have an objective you know, to disrupt systems. That's what the whole breach is all about. Now, the vectors remain the same. It's the way they are exploited and the way they are sponsored. And I think, in honesty, what happens is, on a public sector, uh, as long as it's critical infrastructure, there is a tendency for the state actors to come in. Uh, we've seen in wars, we've seen in the new age, uh, cyber warfare, that those vectors are exploited uh, in a very different way. Because when the state goes behind it, you're not looking at one particular uh, hacker or somebody like that with an intent to you know, get something in. Uh, but you're looking at a consolidated, concerted effort to get in. So if there are no specific challenges um, that pertain only to the public sector, um, something that definitely applies to both uh, public and private sectors is the change over to hybrid working practices, in, at least in the last couple of years. Now, before COVID and before people started working remotely, almost as the norm in some cases, one would have to dial in, inverted commas, um, into the organisation's network via a VPN. Uh, VPNs are renowned, if you like, to be, uh, if not unstable, then certainly fragile. What sort of technologies are we seeing typically that are coming in line to replace uh, VPN tech? Um, so, th so the obvious alternative in our industry to a an old-fashioned VPN is what's now called SASE, um, security at the service edge. Um, and that's really about um, the migration away from um, using a VPN to connect back into core infrastructure in a data center in order to access applications, uh, but instead uh, going straight across the cloud to SaaS-hosted applications. Uh, and using security services consumed uh, on a cloud basis rather than physical equipment in a data center. Um, so what COVID taught us uh, is we weren't prepared to, 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 to have so many people connect through a limited capacity set of VPNs in most companies. So there was a huge drive to first upgrade VPN capacity and then move uh, to a fundamentally different model that didn't require connections through data centers in the first place. Um, so I think that's what COVID has driven over the last two and a half, three years. 
I think what Richard says, you know, on the SASE part is something what we are seeing across the industries. Now, I think to my point earlier, you know, the attack vectors and things remain very similar. I think the only other thing from a zero trust uh, you know, topic that I would want to pick up is, you know, how does your network boundary define, you know, is something which is very specific in the public domain, a difficult task. Because what happens is when you're dealing with an enterprise like a bank, for example, uh, you know, you can be very tight about certain things, but you have to remember in the public sector, it's all about making it easier for citizens, for people to deal with. And there, I think the biggest challenge, you know, that some of our clients in the public sector share with us is defining those boundaries. So I think it's a delicate balance. That's the only thing I want to say, but it's more about, you know, being commonsensical about it. At the same time, you know, doing a proper risk profiling of what's important and how to define things, because that's the 90% of the effort as far as I see in terms of getting a good cyber strategy. Has that balance point shifted, Hitesh, do you think, over the last two or three years? I'm thinking now as people are struggling financially in difficult economic times, they'll be contacting governmental and public sector bodies more for available help. People will need to access those services easily. If it's too easy, that might be opening up new attack vectors for bad actors. And if accessing those services, that help is too difficult, then obviously you're not um, doing your job, as it were, for your citizenry. Is that an argument? No, I think, in a way, it's a cliche, right? When it comes to cybersecurity, uh, essentially, what is the prize here? And if you think about that, uh, service going down is not a big benefit to anybody except somebody who's, let's say, you know, keen to take that service down for a reason that they know of, we don't. Beyond a point, as long as there is financial data or anything that the, uh, you know, the perpetrator is after, uh, it makes sense for do, doing that breach or you know, getting into the network. So if I just look at it from that angle, uh, I think the demographics of people who actually attack public sector is a little different, right? Now, if we look at that, uh, to answer your question, whether you know we should have an approach differently, absolutely yes, because we need to keep in mind that it's all about making the boundaries easier. You know, it's, it's all about you know letting the people do their work and making them feel important. And remember, these are all people like you and me, you know. But beyond a point, there are also people who are there for. Uh, let's say, very simple tasks. Now, if they are able to use IT for a certain reason, uh, we don't want them or we don't assume them to, you know, be completely cyber aware. You know, they will be very simply putting down information or things like that. They're not expertly trained as enterprise IT customers are sometimes, you know. And I took the example of a bank. I'll do that here again. Banks spend a lot of money, you know, and if you go onto the website, where they would train a typical customer to say, okay, watch out for this, watch out for that. I think we need to do something similar on the public sector as well. The basics of security, you know, that be aware about what a particular URL looks like. You know, the cliche A as an apple that appears on a keyboard. And if you use the, uh, you know, the different version with the tilde symbol on top or something like that. I mean, those are things if we can make people aware. I would think it's, it's something which is very useful. Uh, but barring that, again, it's, it's very simple, very commonsensical things that we need to do. That's, that's the way I would typically approach cybersecurity always. So, Richard, from what Hitesh has said, 
it strikes me that it is the issue of user education. It's uh, regardless, really, of whether uh, a user inside an organisation is working in the public or the private sector. The biggest threat to any organisation's cybersecurity tends to be the uh, biological interfaces, if you like, between the organisation uh, and the technology they use internally. Uh, so in terms of the two groups of users, the employees of public sector organisations, I think we can treat much like a private sector organisation. Um, train, uh, we run uh, phishing campaigns, uh, we run, uh, that's kind of a, a spoof email to decide or, or to try and help understand the, the level of uh, cyber awareness that an employee would have, how likely they are to click on something that that might look genuine but actually isn't uh, and using statistics generated from those kind of campaigns we can target security awareness training at particular groups of individuals be that by department by seniority by age um, so those kinds of things we can definitely do for groups of employees to raise awareness in public sector organizations um, but on the other side of the interface is the public Right. And, and if you're going to run security awareness training campaigns at national scale, that's that's very expensive. Uh, um, the government have, have run some excellent initiatives like Get Safe Online. Um, but how many people actually know of those websites and, and consult them and take learning from them? I think the take up is, well, the awareness is probably still very low uh, and the take up uh, similarly so. Um, that doesn't mean it's a bad initiative. It just means it doesn't have the reach that it, it perhaps needs. Something that runs through many public sector procurement documents, for example, as something that comes across my desk on occasion, is the need for public sector organisations to share data. And that's to ensure that new data silos aren't created. And therefore, I guess that makes as many services as possible, as efficient as possible, at the lowest possible cost. That's something that's obviously desirable in multiple sectors. Medical organisations, for example, increase their efficiency and their um, users' experiences, or their patients' experiences, I guess, um, by sharing relevant data. But of course, the more information and data is shared by a greater number of organisations and people, then the greater the attack surface that's open to bad actors. Is that something that you see as problematic in your experience in the public sector field? Uh, Richard, would you like to make a start on that issue? Uh, it, it definitely does. There are, there are very significant advantages to having one source of the truth um, in terms of um, consistency of public data in public sector organizations um uh, just pick a pick an example i mean if it, if you're injured on holiday wouldn't it be fantastic if a local hospital could have access to your health record right and, and that wasn't stored locally in your own um county council um or your your own uh, nhs trust your national health service trust yeah that would be fantastic that would be a great outcome and i'm sure the whole public would support that um uh, if you look at something slightly different uh well i'm going to say the same topic health records in general um if if they are available to health insurers 
then there are uh, commercial advantages to being able to price insurance on the basis of a national understanding of the health picture. Now, would we necessarily want that information to be centrally available uh, such that if lost uh, could provide a very specific commercial advantage to insurance companies? Um, I think there's a there's definitely a process at the very high ends of national security where information is deliberately kept siloed for that reason. Right? You don't want all the information in one place because the risk of loss is too great. Um, so there are definitely pros and cons in in bringing public sector data together. Uh, and I think uh, I think as Hitesh was saying at the beginning of the of the call, it's about risk. Right. We have to take an, an active risk assessment on what makes sense to combine and what makes sense to, to keep separate. And Hitesh, is that something that chimes with you too? You know, we have talked about the risk profiling. Uh, the whole context of what we are seeing now uh, is that public sector probably has been a little more risk averse for all the right reasons, right? Because there is a fear of unknown. What happens if things get combined, as Richard was saying? A uh, couple of things together may make a data more identifiable. However, if those two things are separate, for example, a credit card number somewhere, a name somewhere else, maybe not of too much of value, but when combined, probably of value. So in the same context, you know, as long as the data is segregated, you know, the philosophy has been, you know, it's less valuable. Uh, but the challenge is where we need to enable things and now as we have advancement of technology, a lot of analytics goes into providing services. Now, as soon as we start seeing things where technology is used to fasten the cycle of services that the public sector can provide, there is always going to be a catch-up game because there is a there is a thought process. You know, and traditionally, usability and security, as we say, you know, have been the opposite sides. Uh, however, I think what we are seeing now is that with advancement of technologies on the security side as well, we are able to use automation, we are able to use analytics, even within the cybersecurity domains. We are able to better predict you know, what is, to a risk profile, an acceptable level of risk that we can take. And I think if we use that information judiciously, uh, you know, we can probably relax a few controls which are currently there in public sector domains. Now, obviously, you know, nothing fits everything as gospel truth. So we need to make sure we still analyze that and then open it up. However, we should be a little more, uh, I would say, open to talking about how we use currencies, for example, how we use contact lights cards, for example, today. I mean, a flexibility today, for example, if I have an app on my phone or something, which if I just lose my card, not exactly stolen, but maybe I've misplaced it, but I just want to be double sure, I should have an ability to freeze it. Now, something similar in a government contact is going to be useful. Now, we'll have to find ways, means, scenarios of what those things are, and then start looking at those individual scenarios before we take those calls. So I wouldn't say public sector has been unfair in being you know, risk averse, but now is the time where we need to keep pace with technology 
Oh, for sure. It makes perfect sense, especially if you consider that there's any truth in that vicious rumour that some parts of the public sector, especially, shall we say, large central government departments, lag behind the private sector in their adoption of newer technologies. Um, somewhere, I think, that the private sector and a company like Wipro has much to bring to the table. Unfortunately, however, um, even though we've got much more to discuss there, the sands of time are approaching us. Um, if folk want to find out more about Wipro and its specific abilities and experience of protecting publicly funded bodies around the world and here in the UK, there'll be some comprehensive links in this episode's show notes. So please do follow those to read up some more. Gentlemen, thank you ever so much for joining me today, Hitesh Bansal and Richard Vinicom. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having us. And our thanks go out as well to the people who've been listening along today. I hope you found it interesting. I know I have. Join us next time on the Tech Means Business podcast when we'll be talking about cybersecurity, public sector, private sector, cryptocurrency even. Mm, perhaps not. Let's not go mad. Bye for now. 